Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to another episode of WA Exposé, a podcast about local arts by local artists, with the immense privilege of recording on Wajak Nungabuja. What makes a man? This is a question that today's guest expanded from a three-minute drag spot into a full-length, sold-out fringe show. As someone who's explored a bevy of theatrical performance arts through drag, he'll be the first to tell you he's no expert. Leaning the door open for all of us to examine the history behind the art forms we participate with and engage in. Winner of 2019's Crown of the Court and 2021's Proud Awards for Best New Drag Talent, I am humbly bowing down to my guest today, Justin Sider. How are you? Hi, <laughs> thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. Oh, good. That's good. Um, so obviously, super easy. Get straight into it. Why drag? Mm, yeah, well, well, yeah, I just wanted to um, follow on what you said earlier. Um, yeah, acknowledge that we're on Wajak Nungabuja today. Just want to acknowledge Elders past and present and their ongoing um, incredible contributions to this beautiful land that we're on today. Um, you know, they're the first storytellers. So um, yeah. as a storyteller, I feel very privileged to be a part of their world. Um, mm. It's great. Um, so, yeah, why drag? Uh, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big question. Um, yeah, no, so why drag? Um, for me, drag was a, an amazing way to um, experience and explore and make fun of gender. So going into drag for the first time, I was coming off the tail end of being a very bitter and jaded musician. I'd been doing music in my band Hanime and the Hoodwinks for like five years. Wait, um, hang on, hang on, we got to stop. <laughs> I, this is the what, probably one of the only things I couldn't find about you online. So you've got to tell me what style of music yeah. y'all did. I want to know everything about the what created the bitter, bitter, <laughs> what made you so jaded? No. Yeah, well, so I came right, right out of um, uh, the institution that shall not be named, Whopper. Um and uh, put yep. together this amazing five-piece band full of some incredible musicians and I love them all and I'm friends, still friends with them all today. Um, and for, yeah, for five years we we did the the gig thing. Um, we played on the same lineup as Stella Donnelly at Fairbridge Music Festival. Nice. We did um, uh, Hyperfest. We did all sorts of things, some amazing things. Um, and it was great. But um, for me, and so it was, a, it was indie pop kind yep. of stuff. So it started out a little bit more like um, kind of like uh, jazz pop, sort of very – easy listening kind of music and then when I got to the end of our, like, our last release because we did a 10-track album, then we did two singles and we did a four-track EP um, and that was kind of hitting more of that like solid pop kind of energy mm. um, and I finally started to feel brave enough to talk about being queer. So when I first started I was very femme, I was very shy about my queerness because mm -hmm. um, I was identifying as cis at the time so I was very shy about talking about girls and being um, seen as a lesbian. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was, and so and Hannah May was this hyper feminine character that I kind of 
was feeling really confused by because obviously uh, she had the same name as me, mm. but it didn't really feel like me anymore. You were already and, doing drag. Well, yeah. I hadn't done drag yet, but I was still feeling like quite unsure about how that all felt. And so as I got to the end of it, and of course the music industry in Perth is quite challenging and my gender stuff started to become quite challenging, um, it just kind of it just kind of worked out. It all just sort of came to an end at the right time and, mm. and then I started doing drag. And Justin was this polar opposite. He was this, you know, character that I'd never really allowed myself to explore um, and people responded really well to him. So I was really grateful to get to do that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, now I've got to backtrack because as a fellow musician, <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions about the music side of things. Yeah. Um, was your training um, at the place – that we all went to. Was it in jazz initially or were you doing contemporary while you were there? So I did, I was in the classical stream technically because obviously they have jazz, contemporary and classical, but I was doing um, composition and music technology. So um, not really performance, mostly just composing because mm. I'm a songwriter. Um, and you graduated in? 2014. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I was just, I was like, why didn't I see you there? Because <laughs> I was in the classical street too. I was like, where? Why hadn't we? Yeah, so what you either. So I was there from 2013 to 17 was when I, nice. I was just missed you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. One in, one out. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was really it was really um, challenging course and it really male dominated. And so mm. I think at the time I felt like no one told me this, but I felt like in order to be seen as valuable, I needed to be attractive mm. and feminine. And so, and I didn't really feel like I was fitting in with this boys club around me. So yeah, so Hannah kind of came Especially out. Especially in composition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, like I was the only um, AFAB person to graduate in my year, like of like for composition, nice, like yeah. the only one, the other, all the other um, uh, female composers um, didn't graduate that year. They all like deferred or dropped out, or you know. So it was not many of us. Um, so yeah, but it was um, it wasn't necessarily classical composition, but the all the like theory was in classical. But yes. um, so yeah, so but I was around a lot of jazz musicians because I really gravitated towards them because mm. they're really lovely people. And then the musicians that I got in the band who were jazz musicians. Wonderful, um, yeah. So a lot of the influences and and the way that we would write the like the lead sheets and stuff, a lot of them were improvising. So it had a lot of jazz influences, but I started to move away from that as I got into more of it because I much prefer pop over yeah. everything else. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. This makes so much sense too because I'm such a big fan of the sold-out show that I mentioned in your <laughs> intro, Justin Sider is Dickless, yeah. um, which has a lot of music that obviously you've had a, quite a heavy hand in, yeah. lyrically or compositionally. Like talk yeah. to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I didn't write the – like. 95% of the music I didn't write. There was a couple of tracks in there in the song and uh, in the um, last one we did that I wrote um, just on Ableton and stuff. But when I first came up with the idea of doing it as a musical, it was just because originally it was going to be a jukebox musical and I was just going to like pick and choose some songs. Ooh, yeah. But then I thought about the copyright and I thought about how limiting using other people's songs would be because obviously so much of the story is told through his songs. Like it just, it wasn't going to work. And I just kind of had a light bulb moment where I was, I was like, oh my gosh, I should write original songs of this and my friend Kruger James who's a beat maker in Perth I know has this inc like incredibly large catalogue of beats that he makes and I was like so I hit him up and I was like do you have like some time and some beats that I can borrow for this show um he was like absolutely so I went over and I, and I had all these like these kind of vibes I was looking for I was like so this one needs to be this kind of energy this one needs to be a ballad um and then he just kind of went through his beats and and gave me about eight um I think I ended up with like using about five or six mm. um and uh and then I just wrote all the, the lyrics and the melodies everything over it from there so I'm really grateful to Cougar James because it would have taken me so long to get them to where I needed to be and I just didn't have the time and his beats just work so great totally with this stuff so um I'm really I was really stoked by that um so yeah and then you know I've, I've 
going to be purchasing the beats off him to, for ongoing like productions. Um, so it's great to have his music in the show forever. Yeah. And if you're going to use great. music, it's such a great honor and a privilege to use something that's local. Yeah. And to be like, if yeah. I'm going to plumb money into copyright and all of that sort of good stuff, then I may as well put it where I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know absolutely. the people and I know the energy. That's great. Yeah. And Kruger James is such an underrated um, artist in Perth. Like he's just, he's just a, he's just a, little musical genius like and and his his talents in freestyling are just I have such a big like you know big brother crushing him I'm just Mm. like you're just like so amazing like at what you do and like I just am always kind of like coming to him for knowledge and and inspiration and just looking at what he does and so yeah and like he just released an album recently and I just think that everyone should listen to it because he's just he's just so amazing yeah. Great. Anyway, oh, no, I love that. Oh, I love it. I love that. I love those moments. I think yeah. I spend the entire time just gushing over people. So that's totally cool. Yeah. Um, my apologies. I fully jumped way too far into the future. It was no, to be okay. in the past. It's <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> so that's like a really good look at where like where Justin is now, which mm-hmm. is like this incredible point where you're able to like marry these moments from your past with your incredible drag talents and put them together. Mm. Was there a time where you were like, okay, I've got to close the book? on the music side of things just because of the the memories and the trauma was just like that's got to go over there for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it wasn't necessarily the like there was like it wasn't too much trauma there. It was just more of a an exhaustion like so mm. I definitely like closed the chapter on music for a long time there but I was still kind of indulging like there was a, an event that was running a lot pre-COVID called CoLab mm. which would happen once a month at the moon and people and a bunch of musicians would show up and jam and people could freestyle over it. So that was how I was kind of getting my fix but I just kind of had to take a step back from trying to gig, trying to do the band and 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 also at the time drag wasn't really accommodating for for live music like I yeah. think it was really cool to see um your show the WXQA and having like music and drag be in the same kind of lineup because I think it, they're so synonymous and also like uh, a lot of other drag scenes like in the UK especially and in America the UK most particular a lot of drag performers sing live like mm. that's how like old school drag used to be like it was you li- you sung live you didn't yeah. just lip sync so I did I felt like the, the scene wasn't kind of like ready for live music with drag. They weren't really like going to respond well to that. When I did Crown of the Court back in 2019, I did one number that was live, like singing. Mm. So it was for the talent round. Um, and people seemed to respond well to that. So, and then I started bringing in freestyle rap because I was really enjoying doing rap at uh, like in my own kind of time. And so I started to like slowly bring that into, into Justin and people responded really well. And that's when I sort of felt like it was safe to – to combine the two um <laughs> and that's when Dicklist became a thing so yeah it's uh I do love um making music and I do miss it like I, I teach music as well so sometimes when I'm here and my students jam I'm like man I miss this but yeah. it'll come back when it's ready my next kind of project that I'm hoping to do um is to write a fully fledged musical with multiple parts so Wonderful. that's like kind of the next goal <laughs> that's so good. Okay, everybody. Now that that's on record, <laughs> I have to do the it. Follow up has to be real. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's here now. Yeah, just the message later. Like, take that bit out. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> get rid of it. <laughs> I don't want yeah. it anymore. I don't want a commitment. <laughs> yeah, no, totally fine. <laughs> um, so tell us a little more about like your experience um with with drag, stepping into it for like the first time, and like moving forward in the scene. I'd really love to know about it from your mm. perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it was. It was interesting kind of getting into it because um, when I first started drag, there were very, very few drag kings. Like I remember like a year or so before I did drag, I messaged one of my like the people I knew that was doing drag as a queen at the time and I was like, hey, you know, what's the go with um with drag kings? Like I haven't really seen any around. And they were like, oh, yeah, there's one. 
And I was like, oh, no. and I was like, who? And they were like, oh, it's just this one person that kind of comes on and off. But they weren't being booked for shows, really. They weren't. They would just kind of do Drag Factory here and there. But it was like, it was like one king and they weren't there very often because they didn't feel so welcome on the scene. So I was like, well, this is, this is silly. Like, I, I, it makes so much sense to have drag kings hmm. on the scene. So I was like, well, I'm just going to do it. And if I do it, then other people will want to do it. And that was the whole reason I started. I was like, I just want to show other people that this space it can be theirs too. They just need to take that next step. And like that was my main kind of goal doing wow. it. It wasn't anything like, obviously there was some fun in it and like, yeah. you, know, you know, the ego is definitely there. But like <laughs> n- initially it was definitely like a, well, I can do that. I want other people to do that. Let's do it together. So that's kind of how I started. Yeah. Very good business. You saw a gap in the market. And you're like, let's fill it. <laughs> Straight up. And I remember just starting drag at Drag Factory. Just like I look back on photos and I just shake my head. Like I used to just wear like like a freaking like cotton on button down and like some <laughs> some like slacks and a singlet and like a mascara beard freaking like scraped, scraped on my chin. Like I didn't wear a scrap of makeup till I did Crown of the Court. Like I just went – went all in, no, like, you know, not holding back. And it was just, but people just, what they really responded to was Justin's energy. Like, it was just like, whenever I got on that stage, I just felt so free and just so, and there was so much like, Hannah May was never sexy. She, she was Mm. never, you know, yeah, never risque, not until like the very end with the final EP. And even then that was like Justin bleeding through to Hannah May. Like there was like something was (laughs) happening there. But, um, so yeah, being able to just like channel all the energy that I'd never, that I'd never done before people just really responded to that. So it didn't really matter what I was wearing or how my face was painted. And it ruffled a few feathers. Like there were definitely queens on the scene that were like, who the heck is this? Why aren't they wearing makeup? Like, you know, what are they doing here? They're not, you know, worthy. But like, you know, yeah, initially, but then not long after, like, but in that same vein, they were so accepting and welcoming and like, you know, the majority of them were so stoked to have someone there Mm. representing you know, my community of like AFAB, you know, masculine humans. So while there were some feathers ruffled, it was was very rare and it was never like outwardly hostile. So yeah. yeah. It's also so important that we have an active space to make make errors and make mistakes in um, mm. that is safe and that is welcoming of us and that that won't beat us to the wolves at the end of it. So to like go in and use what you had available to you at the time, which, yeah, maybe that's a pencil mustache and a, a JJ's tea and that's totally fine, but that's what you had available to you at the yeah. time. That's but there were also so to. many queens and, and and also like kind of people that had wanted to do King stuff and hadn't quite yet but had still done that were just so willing to give me advice and provide me resources. Like Blake Cassette is a big one. Like mm. he was the, like a huge supporter and like just, you know, here, have this for free, have this for free. And I'm like, I'm like, Dad, come, like hang on, <laughs> let me pay you, you know, like yeah. just – so, yeah, there's so many people and, like, yeah, and everyone's always willing to share their skills. Like, that's what I love about our, our scene, like, our little scene. It's just, like, you know, I've had makeup lessons from this person. I've had makeup lessons that I've bought the week from this. Like, everyone's just helping each other. Like, yeah. there's, there's bitchiness. Don't don't get me wrong. But it's all, you know, <laughs> at, the, at the core of it, at the heart of it, everyone's just a big family. So, yeah. I do love that you added that because up until then it could have been, like, <laughs> it's, like, a beautiful, loving family and <laughs> yeah. it's great. We're having a lovely time. No, no, not at all. There's some this. <laughs> we promise that we still suck. <laughs> just like thorns every, with every rose. Yeah, yeah it's just, like, every queer community we're still fighting it's yeah, fine yeah 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 that's it <laughs> then so we're developing justin which is an incredible thing that's happening people are giving and taking all at the same time the response to the energy is really interesting something mm. that you just you mentioned a little while ago mm. um i think that's really important because obviously that was the the performer in you that had already like been out there in the world exploring themselves but like do you think that um people were responding to the idea of just being like this is something i've never seen before 
or or the actual acts that you were doing? Because something that I've read a lot and seen a lot in your work is that it's not just like, hi, I'm doing a remix to a Prince song. I'll see you later. It mm. has always been like a really good theatrical element to all of your performances. Do you think that like people were responding more to that or more to just the, oh, this is different? Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's I think it's a bit of both for mm. sure. Like there's definitely a, like a gimmick in being a drag king. Like that has to be said. Like people are like, oh, my God, I've never seen a person that looks like Borgens before. <laughs> um, they're very intrigued by it. And um, and and also I, I enjoy like especially when you're performing at – um like queer, like Snatch, for example, it's like queer mm. women events because like I'm there with this beard being a dude and these people are staring at me like and I'm like, hello, are you okay? And they're like, I just, I'm so attracted to you but I'm gay and I don't <laughs> understand and I'm I'm confused. And the same thing with like with gay men being attracted to me like as Justin and then being like, hang on a second, my brain can't figure it out. You're not, but you are a boy but you're not a <laughs> – so it's it's interesting. So there, there's, an, there's an intrigue. But, yeah, I always try to put some kind of, like, uh, meaning behind my – like, obviously, like, don't get me wrong, I still – every now and then I just, you know, chuck in a Justin Bieber track and, and just – and then yes. and tick the box they need, like, drag performer, three minutes done. But I do try to put um, a lot of heart and soul into what I do and meaning um, and try to, yeah, just communicate more. And, like, for me, the drag has never been frivolous. It's always been – there's been layers of meaning behind it. There's been, you know, me – like it always it often comes back to representation like that whole like initial thing of wanting to rep like wanting to get out there and show people but also wanting to represent people that are trans mask people that are you know short and not super thin and people that are you know that have top surgery but aren't on t like there's so many different layers to it so yeah i try to like i try to tell stories as much as i can it's really interesting the way that you're saying that people find almost a fascination with justin mm. um with the boundaries they've already put on themselves, women being like, oh, but I'm not allowed to be attracted to oh, this, yeah. or gay men being like, oh, I don't think I'm allowed to be attracted to this in a space that we're supposed to be so free and open about things to still have people sit there and go, but that's illegal for me to be attracted it's to this or to like this. It's it's really interesting to like think about and to talk about because it's mm. like, no, you're be whatever. It doesn't this doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. People are very married to their um to their labels mm. all of the time. That's something drag has shown me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, people are very married to their labels, like, and, and something that drag has shown me as well is that gender is such a label as well. Like, mm. like for me, I've always talked since doing drag, I've talked about how drag has shown me that gender is a costume mm. that we put on and take off every day. And RuPaul has this quote, like, I know RuPaul's problematic and we don't love that person, but like, they do have this quote that says, you know, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. And it's a really like poignant and simple way to be like yeah you know like people are like you know cis people that have never been exposed to this stuff are like don't understand this idea like I try to explain to them like who told you that you had to wear this kind of clothing who mm. told you that and that and then trying to explain to them that these these kinds of clothing and these roles that we play place expectations on us and you know like so trying to explain to people why they need to call me my correct pronouns and they're like what's the point well I'm like well in this day and age if you call me she you've just placed a world of expectations on me and roles that you expect me to fill because that word is associated with so many things. Or if you call me he, again, you've put all these, you've put, you know, subconsciously all these expectations on me. So that's why, you know, we need to challenge these things and that's what Dragily does. So yeah, and definitely like queer people can be really, I know that there's a lot of biphobia in the scene and mm. a lot of like, um, you know, prejudice against pansexual people and things like that. So that's why I love trans people and what trans like, and non-binary identities 
provide. They provide like, yeah, a challenge for yeah. people to reconsider. Um, and I love it when um, gay men, uh, typically like gay men or bisexual men are attracted to me because it's just so gender affirming. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I think that it's like with the – you look a lot obviously at the history of queerness and the history of queer and trans people um, because obviously it informs the work that you do and obviously just in general it's so bloody important and like I just could hit people with books all for every day <laughs> but I won't. Um, so what I think we did is that when we basically decided to market LGBT, just the, you know, the first, the top four, not even really T, we didn't even want to do that. Um, when we were marketing the letters to people we gave them really strict definitions because society already had really strict definitions of husband, wife, son, daughter, etc. We'd already mm. placed, we had these incredibly powerful labels that mm. gave people positions in society that whether or not they liked them, that was it. Mm. So to get any recognition for queer people, initially we had to almost be like, well, this is what L means and it means nothing yeah. else. This is what G means and it doesn't move beyond this. We promise, we swear. Totally. So now that we're finally moving past that and going like, oh, look, all, all of these letters are kind of blurred anyway. Mm. <laughs> people are going, wait, hang on. You told me 10 years ago that this was a box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, labels have a lot of power. Language yeah, has a lot of power. Definitely. Yeah, definitely trying to give people, like, it's, you know, trying to break it down so that they can understand it. Like, I can totally understand why those labels existed. And also I can understand, the, like, the the wanting to be in those little subculture, sub-communities, you know, those subgroups or cliques because you wanted to feel safe, like, yes. you know. Um, so I can totally relate to that. And that's why, like, for me now, like, I identify as queer just be, as a blanket term because it, it encompasses gender and sexuality. Because, yes. um, yeah, and uh, – but sometimes still, like, cis straight people are like, where? What does that mean? Like, <laughs> can you explain it very carefully, very explain it, dot point out who you are? And I'm like, I don't even know, man. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, for the purpose of this conversation, I just want to buy some eggs. So does it yeah, really yeah, matter yeah, 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 if, yeah. if you know or don't know exactly what that is? Because yeah, I'm just yeah. here to shop. you got to conserve your energy sometimes. It's a big one for trans youth. It's like you don't have to do that labour. And sometimes people forget what that means. It means that, like, if you don't want to have to, correct someone and explain exactly why they need to do the right thing you don't have to and it's if it's going to be easier and safer and healthier for you to just you know deal with the fact that they're going to misgender you and it sucks but then just go away and never see them again like mm. you are allowed to do that and you're not a bad trans person for doing that yes yeah. oh thank you for saying that because it's so important um mm. especially for trans youth that, mm. or just queer youth in general honestly is that it's just not your job yeah yeah. yeah, it's never And been that doesn't job. make you less trans mm. just because you, you don't have to be an activist to be a trans person. Totally. It's a big one, yeah. Yeah, you just existing is enough. Thank you. Yeah. Please just stay with us. We'll be, it'll <laughs> yeah. get better. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, I actually am going to take a super quick break because mm -hmm. I think that's a really important note to leave it on for this first half. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Uh, I'm still talking with the incredible Justin. And before we went to break, I mentioned that I wanted to talk about what you would like to see in the drag scene moving forward because obviously we've had a lot of incredible experiences, highlights and lowlights that we got into in our last half. But what do you want to see from the community and the audience moving forward? Boobs. No, I'm kidding. So many um, boobs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, that's a, I mean, I think it, we're already kind of seeing it, which is great. Like one thing that was so wonderful about being blessed with winning Crown of the Court in 2019 is that it did exactly what I wanted it to do. It bolstered the, like, it made, it communicated to the scene that drag kings were valuable and respected mm. and on a similar, you know, on, I, I'm cautious to say on the same, like, plane as drag queens because I know that, like, drag queens are, like, you know, have been through a lot and have been doing, have been doing a lot and have carved this scene out in Perth. But, like, you know, we are just as valuable as the queens and you're we are the, just as capable. Yeah, I mean, you're the reason that the name got changed to Crown of the Court, right? Yeah, 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 yeah which was really exciting and really, like, um, humbling and wonderful to see. And so since then we've just seen this influx of drag kings and, you know, and I've done everything I can to support that. Every time I see someone even, like, raise an eyebrow at the idea of doing it, I'm like, you, come here, let's go. <laughs> um, so there are multiple people that I've, like, um, worked with and, like, kind of, you know, I, I never claim credit. Like I, I do not see myself as really having any drag children as yes, they call yeah. them. Like for me, I just see them as colleagues and, and people that I've helped and supported as best I can, but I never take credit for their work. And I know that it's all their energy and like their confidence. And like, all I do is provide someone that's like, yes, you should do it. And yeah. here's how you do it. And like anything I can do to help you, let's do it. So yeah. So there's lots of people that I feel like, yeah, really proud of and like, in a way, in the way that like I would be proud of anyone in the scene. But so, yeah, so seeing more Kings on the scene has been a big one, but there's still a long way to go with that as well. Like um, it's a challenge because obviously the scene is so queen dominated mm. and the irony of that is that a significant portion of these queens are, you know, cis men. Yes. So it's a male dominated industry drag, which is just so surreal. <laughs> um, you know, yes. we do have an incredible amount of trans performers and I love them so much, but it is still you know, predominantly male dominated and, and, and dominated by white performers. So we're working and we, we are aware of this in the scene and we are collaborating constantly and working towards doing better. But I would still love to see, um, every drag show be 50, 50 POC white performers, every drag show be 50, 50 Queens and kings like mm. i would love to see that be the standard yeah without it being a mathematical calculation to oh quick make sure we've yeah. got this and this and this yeah. it's like no we've just got an amazing lineup yeah the end and they just yeah. and it's just what it is it's yes. not even considered yeah. it's, it's not people default. and not having to call people up and being like hey you need to we need to make sure this lineup is whatever and it is because we can do better mm. and not just doing that to tick a box but to see the value of all those performers like especially like like performers of color because they just like I just hate it when people see it as this box we tick because like there is like something that like these people that I know that it, you know happen to be POC that they just bring so much more 
than you can ever consider like to the performance, like the the history and the culture and the passion and like, you know, like, for you know, Denisa has this incredible talent and knowledge and ability when it comes to voguing and dance and and bring so much of that and you know there's just there's just so many and Moisha Moisha has this this culture um that she brings to her performances and also just this fantastic energy backstage in general and there's just yeah there's so much to be said um on that subject but yeah it's just I just want to see diversity be a default and not yeah. something that takes you know an effort I just want to be a default so yeah I just want to see more kings um but I do have lots of really exciting plans for how to help that happen. Um, so, yeah. Oh, but I, I will, sneaky? I will be mysterious. Oh, I so. love Okay, I do love that. <laughs> I was just thinking about um, with the idea of having it be more open about mm. our audiences that see these shows and stuff too. I talked a little bit about it before um, that sometimes we end up just playing to ourselves mm. on a loop um, because when we've got shows that are on at like, you know, 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. in the morning, then only a certain type of person can like have the time, the ability and the accessibility to like go to those shows and those Ooh, productions. Yeah. So doing something like what you did, like a fringe show, mm. automatically suddenly you're opening yourself to a much wider audience who hasn't mm. had the chance to see you in your work before. Totally. Um, that's something that I know I'd love to see happen more and more in drag, which is like was one of my big kicks with um, WX with the live show is that it's like, no, it's on at 7.30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to come to this and then you can go have dinner afterwards or whatever. Or and you I can understand. go to bed. Yeah, you can go to bed <laughs> at a normal hour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like have that ability to actually see these incredible performers um, in a more accessible way for a wider audience because mm. I love performing to other artists. I really, really do. But unfortunately then we cre- create a little bit of an echo chamber within totally. ourselves and we aren't fully aware of what um, – an outside audience actually thinks of what we're doing and how we can like welcome them into what we're doing too. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And also like I think that sometimes drag performers forget that and just performers in general forget that sometimes you need to go, like you need to reach out and go to the places that mm. don't have, you know, haven't seen you before. Like the big one that's been getting me at the moment is in like is working with Aboriginal performers, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander performers, like, and First Nations performers. Um, because so often, um, you know, white performers can just be like, well, you know, if they wanted to, they would. If they wanted to show up, they would. And it's like, well, no, it's not like that because you need to think of all those layers of privilege. You need to think about these, you know, venues that we're performing in and whether or not they feel welcome there and how can we, how can we, you know, extend the hand that needs to be extended to bridge that gap you know and to and to bring the aboriginal or the first nations community into this world or acknowledge that they're already there and seek them out and talk to them and you know make it happen and so i think that's something that's like that's something that's really important to me going forward and something i've been really working on is just like remembering that you can't just expect these people these minorities that had not already performing like intersex performers or or you know disabled performers like you need to you need to take that step. You need to step off that stage. You need to te- come off that pedestal that you mm. think you're on and come down to their level or like, and I'm not trying to say like they're on a lower level, but they're on a less privileged stage. You know, we need to come down to where they are and meet them on level ground. Um, so it's a big one. And also like um, underage performance and underage audiences. Yeah. That's a big one. So for me, um, moving forward, like I'm in the process of organising an event coming up with collaborating with Fremantle, um, mm-hmm. City of Fremantle, to put on an all-ages um, gig coming up very soon um, and also one in the Maylands area. So um, creating gigs for um, uh, underage performers is, is – uh, underage audiences is so important to me because 
trans youth and queer youth are unable to come to these venues. They can't come to the club. They can't come to Connie's. They can't, you know, they can't go to Cherry Bomb because yeah. they're, you know, they're under 18, but they still need to see these these trans performers, these queer performers, obviously in a safe way, mm. um, you know, no nudity and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, they still, they need to be around this community um, and they want to, but they can't. And we need to find a way to change that. Yeah, you sure. can't be bumming around in Western Australia as a queer youth thinking that you must be the only one because mm. you've never seen it before. You've never mm. had access to it before. Mm. When the scene is there and it's so incredible and so vibrant, you just hasn't how we haven't given you the opportunity to dive headfirst into it yet well they're you know they're watching our stories they're following us on social media they are watching rupaul's drag race every day mm. they do they want to be there but they just are barred by this you know the fact that we only, we can only really perform at over 18 venues and like yeah. and drag is is for everyone as drag queen story hour has proven to us or drag yes. story hour has shown us so yeah working with um young people is really passionate a big passion of mine sorry to say <laughs> oh, that's great. That's yeah. really good. So um, it's like so important that everybody has access to a great stage, not, yeah. not just like, oh, yeah, you can be on the stage, but it's crap and yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's you've got to do it for free and we're not going to give you good lighting and it's no fun. It needs to be like access to quality performance yeah. and access to quality art because it's really important rather than just being like, well, this is a free show, so therefore it's bullshit. That's and, it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, yeah, there's just so many layers to like – that are barring people from like, you know, minority communities or like First Nations communities. There's so many things that are like in their way. And I think that people forget that. And then it's like, it's how we break down those barriers. And you know, we have to kind of walk alongside them as they do that. Like, you know, we can't just stand there and be like at the top of this hill and be like, hurry up. I'm already up here. Come mm -hmm. on. You know, I got the lift. And they're like, well, I'm having to walk. And there's all these barriers in my way, you know, like, um, you know, just so many, so many layers to it. But yeah, um, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's all about, um, doing everything you can with the privilege that you have mm. to, you know, uh, walk alongside the people that need you. So yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> what about your name? Uh, oh my gosh. Tell me. Yeah. So this one's a challenge cause, um, uh, yeah. So when I wanted to do all ages gigs, I have yes. to go by Justin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so I knew that I wanted to be Justin and I was trying to, and I obviously the idea of being Justin something. And we were like, you know, my partner and I were sitting there like his peachy sparkles is the whole reason Justin exists. Like she has been so incredible and um, she's amazing helping with everything, but she came up with the name. So we were sitting there and we were like, I was like, Justin, your mum, Justin, your pants, Justin, you know, trying to think of things. We went to bed, we were lying there and then we kind of both drifted off and then she just kind of woke up and she's like, Justin Cider. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like explosion. It was amazing. Cause obviously there's Landon Cider who's in the States. Who's mm. like, he's like, at this point, he's like the RuPaul of the drag king community. Like he is huge yes. um so his idea is land inside her like land inside her and people are often like oh is it based on that you know I'm like no no it's it's totally different but it just happens to be a similar energy and and people love it I remember when um uh, I was like doing one of my first drag factories and one of the drag hosts was like oh I just got it oh, really? and I was like babe <laughs> I've been here like multiple times you just got it. like yeah whoops <laughs> I guess by then you're just like saying so many pun names. Yeah, and yeah. Go, I think it was Cece, Cece DeSist, who um, when she was on <laughs> talked about being like, you want a name that you can still yell across the dressing room? Stacey, it still needs to be something that seems like a real name. Yeah, yeah. And then the rest can be garbage. Yeah, yeah. You don't want it to be too obscure. Like I've come up with some obscure ones in my time and people are like, that's not a real name. I'm like, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some there's some great ones out there. 
I love it. <laughs> <laughs> do you, um, do they, all, they all need to be pun-based though, right? Like, you don't have to at no. all. No, not at all. It could be, I mean, you know, Alexis Armstrong is not really a pun, but mm. like the Armstrong is kind of like referring to her being strong. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's multiple names that aren't really puns, but um, yeah, but I think it's just more fun if it's a pun. Yeah. <laughs> More fun if you've jammed things together to make them fit and yeah, make yeah. them work. Um, yeah, okay. Sorry, I totally just took us on a sidetrack about names just because I was having a good time. <laughs> um, all right. So what else in the community would you like to see artistically? Artistically. I'd love to see more people doing music or like because, you know, there's lots of crossovers between like Dragon Burlesque and Dragon Circus and stuff like that. But I haven't really seen many people other than like maybe Denise has done a bit of music. Um, obviously, Dean Misdale sings. Um, Moxie Hart sings a bit here and there. But, like, I haven't seen too much more. But it would be really cool to see some more. But I'd also really love to see some more group numbers happening with Kings. Like, there's been a couple of, like, boy band moments here and there, which are cute. But, like, I love a good duet. <laughs> boy band moments. That's so great. Yeah, that would be great. That's totally. great. Um, I think we did everything. Oh, my God, you smashed through everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This is amazing. Okay, so – um, my brain. So I think that like, not in summary, but like a little bit, like the reason for you as to why drag was, do you think more, and I like, not a gender lesson for people, but like a representation of all the different customizations you can add to your character. Yeah, I guess, I guess in summary, why drag would be it's about representing my people, mm. you know, it's about telling a story that hasn't been told before and being visible. It's about visibility more than anything. It's like when I stand up there in nothing but me Dax yeah. and, you know, I have the scars on my chest and, you know, I'm sexy but I'm not, you know, typical and I'm, you know, I say, <laughs> I'm sexy. Sound like a like very <laughs> full of myself there, but you know it's like no, it's it's you know it's it's not typical. It's 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 a minority. It's it's different and it's challenging people. And then there's also fun to it of being able to point fun at gender and what it is and just be like, look at this ridiculous thing that we all conform to. Let's point fun at it, you know, and and also just to bring communities together and to tell stories more than anything. Yeah. Justin's a mirror. <laughs> Justin's a mirror back onto the audience. You're the like, representation in form and ability to like shine back onto an audience, being like, "This is something that you can be." Yeah, wow, that's I a nice uh, metaphor. I like that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Just like thinking about all the things you've been saying this time, I really do think that Justin is just like, "Look, have a look. Do you like it?" I think it's do always wanna... yeah. I like the idea of mirror. I was thinking the idea of like a vehicle, like it's an opportunity to. It's this palatable, silly, fun, sexy kind of character, but also he has this opportunity, and that's what Dickless is: is this opportunity to show people like, is to like tell this really you know talk about these really tricky and challenging things mm. in a really silly and strange and and fun way. And suddenly you're like considering things you haven't before as well. I don't know. That's what I try to do anyway. Oh, no, I love that. Um, <laughs> That's like the perfect note for us to leave things on today. Yeah. I think that you've summed drag up and your experience up perfectly. <laughs> and I can't thank you enough for being on today's episode of WA Expose. We'd like to tell everyone where they can find you to get all of your mysterious things that you won't tell us about. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure and I love what you do and, and how passionate you are about supporting the scene and everyone, no matter what their, their sort of medium is. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram 
Um, I also have a Facebook account. I know it's retro, but whatever. <laughs> um, just search Justin Cider or Justin Cider King. That's Cider with an S, not a C. Um, and yeah, keep an eye on what's coming up. I'm excited. That's <laughs> ominous and scary and I love it. It's going to be amazing. Whatever comes out from Justin next is going to be incredible. And thank you again so much for being on WA Expose. Welcome back to fucking, no. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to fucking talking with Aria. WA Expose is an independent production. Our artwork was created by Georgia Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlett and M Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlett.com forward slash WA Expose. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.